Welcome to the Evenings and Weekends podcast presented by HustleHQ.com. Here we break down all of the elements of a successful side hustle and help you with your blueprint to ditching your 9 to 5. I'm your host Dan, and I have learned so many of these lessons the hard way on my path to financial freedom. I'm really excited to share my knowledge with you in hopes that your path is shorter and easier than mine was. Let's dig in. Today I want to talk about an investment strategy that I've implemented really since buying my first business. My wife and I have always been pretty frugal with our expenses, and we've always sort of saved as much as our business income as possible. The capital that grew in our business bank account really wasn't being invested though, as as the months went on and the years went on, you know, we would accumulate some capital, whether it was forty, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, and you know, it really wasn't really worth investing in our current business. Our our cleaning business at the time just didn't really need an investment in capital to continue to chug along. You know, spending, I don't know, $50,000 on it wouldn't really move the needle sufficiently to justify the expense. Now, maybe some people know how to invest properly in a business like this in our market and they would have done much better. But I, I really felt like there would be too much A-B testing and, and too much too much wiggling and playing in that for me to really know what's going on. Um, and so we weren't really prepared to do that. You know, there was you know, obvious options for advertising we could have gone through uh, and things like that. But in the little bits that we had dabbled in with advertising and some different SEO strategies, I don't know. It wasn't, it didn't seem like spending a lot of money to try and make money in this business was, was really worth it. Um, so we just, needed some investment vehicle for this capital that we were accumulating. And like I said, for the longest time, we just really didn't know what it was. We kind of just let money pile up in the bank a little bit. We dabbled in the stock market and maybe wound up making a couple of bucks and some good trades. Uh, But really, it was a small percentage of that capital that we were earning. And it felt like there was got to be a, I don't know, a better vehicle for it. And investing in the stock market feels kind of risky in 2020 and 2021. Uh, you know, it's a very bullish market. There's lots of people who are making a lot of money, I guess. But uh, I'm, I, that's not really my scene. I, I don't spend a lot of time following things. I, I'm kind of too lazy for that. Um, and it didn't really make much sense. In our personal accounts, we have, uh, you know, an RRSP and a TFSA and things like that. I'm much more comfortable investing that money, partly because it's not business money. You know, it's even though we own the business and we're not accountable to anybody else, it, it does, I don't know, it feels a little bit weird spending business money uh, on things like that that you could potentially lose and then that affects your bottom line. And, you know, a lot of our uh, a lot of our expenses and a lot of our financing is tied to our business as well. So a big loss somewhere in the business could translate to bigger problems in the future. So I think we, we're just pretty careful about that and we, we don't really do that Um However, we kind of decided that we could use this growing capital that we were accumulating to either acquire a a small business in the same industry as our cleaning business, or maybe even in a business that was complementary, some, a business that, uh, you know, uses cleaners as a vendor. And and so we could sort of double dip on our services. We, we thought about like a property management service or a, you know, construction company, you know, something like that, that, uh, that would be able to use our cleaning company as a client. Now this Plan had a lot of potential, but um, after doing some research, it kind of came obvious that while this could work and it could be pretty profitable, 
Um, it was going to take a significant amount of time because most of those businesses that we could buy that came close to fitting our criteria were, you know, anywhere between 300000 to $750,000 in price. And I mean, it, it would just take, it would take years to get that kind of money uh, into the bank to buy them or, or even to be able to put a significant deposit and apply for financing for the remainder uh, would take quite a bit of time. Once we discovered, though, that we could buy an online business for, you know, really a fraction of the cost of a traditional business, obviously, you can buy online businesses for much more. There are, you know, businesses that are for, you know, $10 million, $8 million, but um, they're really, there's a lot of businesses like that for sale as well, you know, traditional brick and mortar businesses. Uh, but in the online business world, there's kind of a lower bar to entry, I guess. And profitable businesses that, you know, make, you know, a few hundred to a few thousand dollars a month are, are on the market and they're reasonably priced. Once we, once we figured that out and, and, and figured out that the ROI on these businesses was actually pretty good, um, it really became clear that we could just buy online businesses when we had some spare money. And then we could just continue doing this. In fact, as our personal expenses don't change at all, unless we change them and you don't need to, you know, all of the income from these secondary businesses would add directly into our sort of acquisition fund, if you would, for further online businesses. And so, I don't know, I guess I didn't really have a name for this philosophy because this investment, you know, philosophy or strategy, whatever you want to call it, um, we didn't really think of it like that. It, It was just kind of, it made sense. It was in our heads, that was what we should do. Keep our personal expenses down and invest any money that we had spare into other businesses that could make more money. And it turns out that, um, you know, while we figured it was optimal that someone else actually coined it, there's, uh, um, a guy, and I don't remember his last name, uh, but his name is Greg and I think he's from empire flippers. Um, and he recently coined, he coined the term, the asset flywheel. And it's a pretty good description for the sort of strategy that we had following. It basically describes adding as much revenue into your capital investment as possible in order to get it spinning faster and creating more revenue. All right. So I'm sure you've heard of compound interest and I'm sure you've seen all the examples about how people can invest small amounts of money into a, an RRSP or some other investment that would generate huge amounts of money over long periods of time. Stories about people who, you know, I don't know, invest $50 a month for their entire career which is about $24,000 if you, you know, if you work for 40 years, but then having a balance of, you know, something like $130,000 at the end of that 40 years. So 24,000 turning into $130,000, you know, this is, this is pretty powerful, um, you know, for free money, basically, it's just making sure that you're diligent enough to put that $50 in a month for 40 years. And, uh, you know, this is a really great example of how over the long run, compound interest will grow drastically. But the problem with compound interest is that it doesn't, it doesn't increase linearly. It, it, it increases, I don't know if it's logarithmically, but certainly multiplicatively, is that a word? (laughs) I'm not even sure. The longer you let it run that experiment of compound interest, the better, So if you waited 20 years to start this investing, which most people do, because let's be honest, who starts saving for their retirement when they're 20? Like not many people. However, you know, what if you waited 20 years to start this investing? What if you really only invested for 20 years instead of 40 and you only invested $50 a month? Same, same case. Well, you know, 
that late starter would only have $26,000 in their account at retirement. Um, and you would have only put $12,000 in. So the, the growth there, while it's good, um, you know, 12,000 into 26,000, you know, over 20 years, that's really not that good when you consider another 20 years would turn it into $130,000. So it's a massive difference in the, in the power of compound interest. The longer you let compound interest act, the, the better and more powerful it gets. And I suppose that the asset flywheel is really sort of just a new way to, I don't know if it's a new term for compound interest or just a new way to think about the same sort of concept, but uh, it really is sort of a new term for compound interest. You can think of the income you make from your business as your investment and interest and and then reinvesting as much interest as you can back into your capital investment. And it could be sort of considered a very similar idea to compound interest because obviously with compound interest, you're investing in some sort of stock that pays a dividend maybe or, you know, pays a percentage. And then, you know, your your investment is automatically set up to reinvest whatever money that investment makes to go back into your investments. Um, and, and this is really very similar. The only caveat, obviously, is that this works on much shorter timescales. I mean, much shorter. Um, and also, you you know, you may not be able to take all of the money that you make and put it back into the flywheel because you need some money to live. Unless, of course, you're buying businesses on the side and maybe you have a full-time job that supports all your sort of financial personal needs. Um, but the other difference is that, you know, while compound interest is sort of a a silent engine of wealth that grows over the course of your entire lifetime. Um, buying, selling, and operating businesses or or other similar, you know, assets. It could be it could be properties. It, you know, it works in a similar way. Uh, it could be renting stuff like that. It takes some effort and some skills. It, it's not magic, and you know, I, I think that because of the availability of assets, you know digital assets, you know, online assets, even in the 20,000 to $50,000 range, you know, it's extremely easy to sort of kickstart this asset flywheel into gear. I mean, $20,000 is something that most people can save in a matter of a few years. And then the next $20,000 will come in the matter of maybe a couple of years. And the next $20,000 will come within a year. And, you know, in five years, you'll be starting to buy $100,000 businesses because that's just where you are in the, in the asset flywheel. So, um, you know, it, you can get started much quicker and, um, you know, this can turn, you know, turn a very small investment in your first online business into a, you know, a multi-million dollar empire with only just a matter of years. Um, so I, I guess really the key concept to this is maximizing your revenue for the capital investment you have access to. Um, and then calculating your expenses and keeping those low as possible. I, I think that good bookkeeping is important. Um, there's lots of apps that will help you track your money and where you're spending it. And sometimes it's shocking to see like how much money you spend on coffee or how much money you spend on video games in my case and stuff like that. Um, it, it really does add up and especially over time. And if you're thinking in timescales of years, um, then it's not what a coffee costs you. It's per day. It's how many of those you drink in a month or in a year. Um, so keep your expenses as low as possible, at least in the beginning, when you're, when you're starting and you're trying to save your next 20 or $30,000 for your next property, you know, a, a coffee a day makes a huge difference. That could be 10% of your, 
of your capital right there in one year. So, uh, you know, it, it is worth looking at the small stuff at that scale. Once you get a little bit bigger, once your, you know, income is, you know, in the $10,000, $20,000 a month range, then obviously, you know, the benefit that you get financially from saving a cup of coffee every day is, <laughs> it's a lot less, right? You're, you're able to, you're able to make the same amount of money uh, much quicker. So, but in the beginning, definitely, you know, keep your expenses very, very tight. Um, you know, the other factor to consider is your age, you know, your sort of investing horizon and what type of sweat equity you're willing to put into a business in order to, to grow and, uh, maintain it. Now, I'd like to use the term time investors, and it's probably a bad term. I, I came up with it when I was writing this article and there's probably a better way I don't know, a better way to term this, but I'm going to call it a time investor. And what I mean is an investor who is still maybe willing and able to put some sweat equity into a business. Um, Now, I used to call this a young investor. When I first wrote this, I thought young investor. But then that kind of implies that, you know, age, you know, your, your age has something to do with it. And it really doesn't. I mean, I didn't have time to do this until I was almost 40 years old. Uh, and that's, you know, I'm not a spring chicken. So, you know, it wasn't that I'm young that I have time to do this. It's that I made the time to do this. I quit my job and I was able to do this full time. That's the kind of time I'm talking about. Um, and especially someone who's willing to do, you know, the even harder task of just learning new skills or sharpening their expertise, uh, or, you know, someone who's willing to pivot their energy into a more profitable skill set. Um, you may have a very profitable skill set for your career, um, but that skill set may not really translate into, you know, financial security in an online business or something. So someone who's, you know, a time investor would have the time and energy and, uh, and drive to, to do that sort of investment in, in education and, and, you know, self betterment. Um, and like I said, I, I would probably put myself into this category. I'm still willing to start something new on learning necessary skills that I might be deficient in. Um, and you know, I, I won't be learning every skill because it's just, sometimes it's better to just hire an actual ex- expert for some tasks, you know, pick and choose the skills that you think may be useful in the long run to have in your toolkit before committing the time necessary to gain sufficient expertise in those skills. Uh, for instance, I mean, everyone has sort of an hourly wage that they pay themselves as a new investment uh, or sorry, as a new investor or business owner, it may not be a lot. And you may decide to take on significant tasks that would be expensive for someone to hire for. But if you're already making a good income and you don't want to invest more time into you know some particular task that you could easily hire someone to do, then it makes perfect sense to have them do it for you know a certain wage. If you calculate your time as being worth you know three hundred, four hundred, or a thousand dollars an hour, then paying anybody for any task that costs less than that could be a benefit. Uh, obviously if you, you know, if you subcontract all of your tasks, then you lose a lot of not just creative, but sort of oversight into your business. But certainly some of these tasks don't need to be done by the owner of the business. Now, another benefit of being the time investor is that you have sort of more surface area of time to work with. And again, not because of your age, but your availability of time. So if you have a full-time job and a family, you just don't have as much time available in in a month or a week or whatever time span you're talking about. 
as someone who's maybe fresh out of high school or college or, you know, someone who's retired, you know, someone that they might have. The only thing is age could potentially pay some role though, because when you are younger, you might be more inclined to invest some of this time into education and that time spent in education will be invaluable into the future for a longer time. Because as you retain all that knowledge and expertise, um, you know, you employ that not only in your business, but in, in your career and life. So age comes into, you know, some of it, if you're at retirement age, there's really no point spending a year learning how to do SEO when SEO can be relatively cheap and you can pay someone else to do it. But if you're young, you know, SEO is one of those skills that it's pretty good to know that uh, if you're planning to, you know, be in this industry for 10 or 20 years, keeping on top of some of those skills, uh, you know, especially those core skills is, is really important. The opposite of a time investor is what I would call an equity investor. And again, these are, <laughs> these are my terms. Don't be confused by other, uh, you know, smarter people who may be using these terms in a different uh, way. Uh, a time investor is one thing and an asset investor is another. An asset investor will be someone who's maybe already acquired some wealth and is looking to make a significant capital investment in something and most likely is looking for a relatively hands-off approach to their business. Maybe they have a few employees or business partners who will be handling some of the day-to-day and they will be more of a silent partner, taking maybe less of the income than the active business partners, but you know they'll likely be working far less in the business in return. Alternatively, maybe they just pick an investment that doesn't require huge time commitments and they can manage it easily in over a few hours or even an hour a month. And this type of investor is typically looking to cash in on their accumulated wealth and let the income you know, from those investments run on autopilot. So I'm thinking about, you know, people who have had a good career, who are, you know, they've maybe been doctors or lawyers or, you know, engineers, whatever it is, they've had a good career and they want to cash in on, you know, whatever economic benefits they've reaped from that. So the question is, can both investors use the asset flywheel, both a time and an equity investor? And the answer, of course, is yes. The, the main difference in these types of investors, and there are a lot more types of investors, but these two in particular is that they come into the asset flywheel from a different starting point. You know, the time investor will be entering the flywheel strategy with likely a lot less capital and a lot more time to invest. This means that the income from the investments they make will be lower and it will take longer for the full power and speed of the asset flywheel to gain momentum. However, this time investor also has a huge benefit, their availability of time. Time spent on almost any business should in some measurable way equal growth in the business. Otherwise, you're obviously just wasting your time. This growth is paramount for the time investor, since the fastest way to turbocharge your asset flywheel is with aggressive increases in business value. This value not only increases you know, greater income from the business monthly, but also a much better return uh, if and when you decide to sell the business and move into something else. So either angle you're approaching the asset flywheel from, if you're graduating high school this month and need to find a direction and find this interesting, then your main focus should really be educating yourself as much as you can in skills and practices that will give you a greater chance of success when you do you know, approach the capital to, that you need to purchase your first major asset. Alternatively, if you have the skills and the passion from the start, 
you know, to start a business from scratch, uh, and you can fit it into your schedule, then this is probably the best way to get started with zero capital and still benefit from the asset flywheel. Most online businesses will take a few years to become profitable enough to warrant a sale, but once they do, you now have accumulated income from that business for the past few years, as well as a sizable chunk of money from the sale of that asset, and you're ready to run headfirst into the asset flywheel. All right, one potential mistake I made when starting to buy online businesses was to try and diversify my online assets a lot. You know, in case one niche happened to have a bad Google update, let's say, and fell in rankings or search value, etc. Now, I'm not saying put all of your eggs into one basket, but diversification can also mean a lot of potential income that's, you know, lost and it's totally 100% free. So let's say you have a half a million dollars invested in a diverse portfolio of online businesses, maybe three, four, five, six businesses. Uh, maybe you have an FBA business that's based on real estate and uh, a display advertising website based on video games and maybe a few other totally unrelated assets. Now, they may provide you some security from collapse in one particular niche, but there's also potential lost revenue in the, that you may have missed because none of your assets can really leverage one another. For example, if, if you have a handful of websites and they're sort of semi-related, then you can use them to point to one another, to have links to one another, to link one article to one other article on a different website, and really try to move visitors from one website to the other and, and vice versa. Maybe you even sell a product with one business that another business audience can benefit from. This could be an extremely profitable situation to be in. And while you don't want to necessarily expose yourself to the collapse of a single niche by putting everything into that, it would be smart to keep some of your assets adjacent to one another just to benefit from this symbiosis where it makes the most sense. And again, do your math. Try and assess what your risk of trends and algorithm changes could be and weigh it against the potential revenue by keeping assets in a symbiotic relationship. The asset flywheel is an immensely powerful tool that, if executed diligently, can really propel your financial situation forward in a meaningful and significant way. For some examples of how much money could be made with certain capital investments and some deep dives into the math, we have a video on our website where I do attempt to run through some of those scenarios. Thanks for listening to the Evenings and Weekends podcast. We would love your suggestions for new episodes. You can always email us at podcast at hustlehq.com. More details about this episode and more can be found on the website, hustlehq.com. We hope you have a great day. See you again soon.